welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the 520th show of ROI, and our guest for today is Emily Temple, author and managing editor of Literary Hub, who is going to talk to us about the 32 most iconic poems in the English language. For the second segment of the show, we will be joined by our history buff, Brett Menard. So to start, welcome to the show, Emily. Thanks for having me. Uh, this first segment we call Farouk Dinarin, and we really are just trying to give our listeners a little bit of background. So let's start off with some basic information on what makes a poem, or I suppose anything else for that matter, iconic. Well, it is a subject of some debate, especially if you look in the comments of internet posts. <laughs> but... <laughs> to me, uh, at least when it came to putting together this list, what makes a poem iconic is it's almost a note when you see it situation, but ubiquity is part of it, uh, a big part of it. So a lot of poems can, a lot of poems are readily available to readers spring to their mind. A lot of poems are referenced all throughout pop culture. And these poems, to me, take on the status of being iconic, ones that everybody sort of knows. The Red Wheelbarrow. Everyone knows that one. I mean, I won't speak for everyone, but a lot of people know it. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so if that's what makes something iconic... Does does age, does having stood the test of time fall in that category? Because as I was going through your list, the ones that I knew were the ones that I had been exposed to through school at one time or another, or as a young person. As we got into stuff that was maybe more recent, I knew less of that. So is that part of the process of being iconic? Certainly, naturally. I mean... There are, I mean, you can think about everybody's schooling, you know, in America, at least we're exposed to similar things. Things become part of the canon and those things all naturally become iconic or not all, but certainly that helps because again, you know, we're talking about when you think about icons of any sort, you think something that's going to be instantly recognizable to the average person. So the Coca-Cola symbol, right? Or Elvis Presley, an icon. Um, it's harder to get, to get that with poetry because of its very nature. But yeah, the things that we learned in school and the things that have really have stood the test of time that have been repeated over and over again, that really adds to something's iconicness. <laughs> lack of a better term. Right. In your introduction to your list, um, you you brought up the idea that that there is a myth out there that poetry is dead, that that nobody's <laughs> writing poetry anymore, and and obviously that is untrue. Um, but I'm just I'm curious what you think. Has the nature of poetry changed as you were putting your list together? Did you find that that you were doing certain kinds of poetry um, more than others? Does it change over time? What do you think about that? 
Well, I mean, of course, poetry is not dead. It's a living, breathing thing. And it's hard to make any blanket statements about poetry itself, because one has to imagine that there are all sorts of poets writing all sorts of poetry everywhere all the time and always have been. Um, But, you know, when I was putting together this list, and I put this together with, you know, the help of my colleagues, it became a very um, active conversation in our office. And everyone had their own opinions. Everyone had their own favorites. And one of the things that I noticed um, was that a lot of poems that we personally, a group of people who all work at a literary website, who care about books, who read books, who read poetry, um, we couldn't really make good cases for our favorite poems necessarily being iconic because there is something some of the some of the poems that are on this list are great poems um but we found ourselves and this is what we did at the end here add some extras some poems that are perhaps more contemporary that we thought let's just put these on because they're great um in addition to all of the iconic classics so i don't know that that's poetry changing but that's certainly the change that comes when you go beyond those poems that you have indeed been taught to read in school and find some of your own special poems out there in the world. Okay. Um, you bring up an, an idea that, that certainly is true more of poetry than it is of prose, and that's the idea of that personal relationship and, and poems. We talk about poems speaking to us in a personal way, in, in a way that we just don't talk about with books usually. Um, so my my interest then is, as you were going through poems, how important was originality or novelty or something like that um, to the the to the decisions to the conversation you were having uh, as you were putting the list together? Well, only in so far as the poems themselves have lasted the test of time, and I think that typically with art in general, it is art that is novel in some way or groundbreaking in some way that unique that tends to last the test of time or tends to um, continue on because every time there's some kind of art that is magical and new, you spawns a horde of imitators and you never remember any of those. You always remember the best first example. Those aren't necessarily always the same, but when we were putting this together, I went for ubiquity over quality. For instance, um, I think that the most most iconic Sylvia Plath poem is Daddy. It's not my favorite Sylvia Plath poem. I, of course, had to put in there a little plug for my favorite Plath poem, which is The Applicant. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's just my... My again, just as you say, my personal favorite that connects, I connect to, and I love. Um, but is it her most iconic? Is it her most recognizable? Is it the poem that you know when I say when I say the lines of it, I think people are going to recognize? It's not. 
Um, so that's just, you know, that's the nature of the list. All right. Well, we're going to have a lot of fun with your list in the next segment of our show. We have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. In times of joy, in moments of grief, broadcasters come through, even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Emily Temple, author and managing editor at Literary Hub. And we're talking about the 32 most iconic poems in the English language. Our history buff for today is Brett Menard. Brett, start us off. So you mentioned in the first segment that uh, when you were considering iconic static status where uh, you looked at where things uh, might be referenced. Um, And so I was wondering what your favorite outside references to one of these poems on your list for me um, it would have to be the Simpsons interpretation of the Raven, um, <laughs> which lives rent-free in my uh, brain and that of all of my generation. Um, so I was wondering what else kind of along those lines jumped out at you. I like the Ozymandias uh, moment in Breaking Bad, uh, <laughs> um, personally. And it's also in my... Uh, this is the dorkiest thing. It's also, it happens to be in my favorite childhood computer game, Civilization, where you build civilization, <laughs> <laughs> which I've played many versions of. <laughs> my name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, you mighty in despair. Classic. <laughs> um, so as you were putting together, because we've had um, some folks from from both your uh, place of, of business and and from some other people who do these sort of list things, we always uh, ask the question, you know, since everybody's getting around and throwing stuff out, what surprises popped up? What things when you went when you started this, what came along that you had not been on your radar at all um, that that got included in your list? Um, I, let's see, not on my radar at all. Um, there were plenty of these that I had forgotten and also, um, and was surprised to come across again, for instance, Jabberwocky, which of course is an iconic poem, um, and I now and and after someone else in the room mentioned it, I remember my father repeating it as a, when I was a child. Um, but it wouldn't have been what I thought of. Same with um, in Flanders Fields, which is just not necessarily 
my kind of poem, I let, you know, in terms of my own personal interest um, that, you know, but of course is iconic. So, you know, that's why it's really nice to have a bunch of people who are all saying poems so that you can uh, really get a, a breadth of interest and um, also memory skills. Right. right. <laughs> Brett. So when you are looking at your list, if people are unfamiliar with poetry, um, they the last poem they read was the uh, required one in high school. And once they uh, got out of high school English, they didn't look at anything else. Where would you suggest they they look to um, engender a love of poetry? You know, first of all, I would say that if for people who don't read poetry, if they look at the poem, a lot of the poems on this list, they will realize that they do read poetry and that they are familiar with it because because of the way that it is constantly referenced in popular culture and the way that it has seeped in through cultural osmosis into most of our brains. Um, But I would say one of my favorite poems since I first encountered it in high school is Gwendolyn Brooks's We Real Cool. It's short, it's musical, it's kind of weird, and I feel like anyone could love it. (laughs) Which is what you want, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, along those uh, along those lines, um, the the poem that jumped out at me was William Blake's "The Tiger," um, mm. and you know the idea that Blake originally wanted that set to music, and it has been set to music from genres everywhere, from folk music all the way up to speed death metal. Um, so so I, I wonder if you could, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, how did, did, did sort of cultural impact make a difference here in terms of how far ranging, how, how wide the net got cast by a particular poem? Yeah, I mean, that really makes a big difference because, uh, you know, it's also in addition to being lots of different, um, to being adopted by lots of different musicians. I had a children's book of this. I, this was like a, the tiger was a bedtime story to me. I actually didn't even realize it was a poem until I became, I guess in college. And I was like, what is this? We're going to study this little children's book. Um, So indeed, um, a lot, sort of the further these poems got, the more likely we were to include them. Um, Because when something, you know, when something like this, you know, I'm trying to think of the, the best way to say this, when you have something that really strikes a chord with the human condition or just even with the ear and is something special, of course people want to repeat it and spread it and put it into different forms. 
And I think that's just a natural artistic response to um, great art. You want to remix it. You want to use it for different things. And so this kind of makes the argument that something has to be good to be iconic. And I'm, and I think there are varying levels of that on this list, but certainly for things that are used and reused it has something to do with their intrinsic value. Sure. Brett. So I noticed you only had one poem on your list that wasn't originally uh, composed in English. Um, so how did that end up there and why that as opposed to anything else? I believe it's uh, Sappho's uh, work. Sure. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you see, the thing about that is I get to break the rules in the list. <laughs> Because I write them. <laughs> um, that's there because that's in the section of what we call it. Well, I'll call that the bonus section um, where we thought, okay, um, we've got all these poems and that we didn't get to put in our favorite poems. This is actually um, one of my favorite poems that I discovered in a graduate school class on um, ecstasy. Mm -hmm. the, the, the literary feeling of ecstasy <laughs> as you know, it, which means uh, I forget exactly what the, the Greek root is, but essentially, you know, to be moved elsewhere. Um, and so I stuck it in there because I just find um, what, what, what remains of Sappho, and I had read um, this collection translated by Ann Carson, who's another one of my favorites. I, I find what remains, and you know, we have so little of her, to just be really exciting and interesting. I'm not actually arguing that that is necessarily iconic in the way that the, the ones on the non-bonus list are. But it was just one of those, you know, if someone's reading this, they're interested in poetry, here's a good one. So I'm interested in in style because you really have a range here. You have some definite rhyming poetry. You have some definitely free verse and even some stream of consciousness. Um, you have the the long epic kind of poem uh, is is represented there too. How did those conversations go as you were putting the list together? Did did conversations about style come up and and we want to make sure that we represent you know uh, that we have a wide representation of the kinds of styles that poetry have taken? You know, it's actually happened more naturally than you might think. You know, we didn't put any constraints on what kinds of styles we were going to have to have or not have. Um, we just thought about, we really did just think about the poems that have seemed to, the poems that have broken through and hung on. And I think it just speaks to each of them being such good examples of their style that they have managed to 
sort of float at the top of their different stylistic traditions. And again, that it may be in part a function of everyone's taught an example of this kind of poetry in school. And um, these are sort of the examples that remain in our heads after all this time. Brett. So you uh, mentioned that your your main list uh, is too white and too male and too old. Um, and you give that as one of the reasons for adding your, your bonus uh, list. Do you think that um, what is considered iconic will will change in the next 10 or 20 years and become less white and male? Yeah, I mean, I think that it, it's necessary. I mean, it's, well, it's not necessary, but based on the way history has gone and, and the many years that have brought us these poems, um, and who was writing and who was being venerated, that's sort of, an, you know, there's necessarily going to be a lot of white men, and it's necessarily going to be, as we talked about earlier, less contemporary, just because of the way that things seep into the cultural consciousness and the groups that have been uh, famous poets for, the long, for a longer time. Um, so it's not even really, I mean, it's, it's not too much of a jump to say that as we go forward and the, the literary canon, the contemporary literary canon becomes more and more inclusive as it is becoming, um, and people become more aware of different voices and and being more inclusive in terms of what we're studying and what we're venerating and what we're publishing. I think that there will, it will become less um, one note if, if I can put it that way. Um, and again, and as time moves forward, some of the poems that are in the recent past or are contemporary now will have time to become iconic and that will make a big difference. I mean, that just, will be transformative in the in the time marching on way. I mean, we have no choice but to continue transforming what we think about and what we read. Okay, um, I'm hoping that you can kind of kind of let us in a little bit to the process um, in this question. But I'm wondering, was there one particular poem that that was most controversial, or maybe a, to put it a different way, that generated the most spirited? I think was the way you uh, you put it. Um, conversation about whether it should be included or not. Well, there's different ways I could answer this question. But um, let's go with a fun answer, which is that everyone hates Howell. (laughs) 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 So so what was that conversation Um, like? So the conversation is, Howell is bad. We can't put it on this list. And my argument is, well, it may be bad, but it is iconic. 
I mean, I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked. You know, it's you people recognize it. It is ubiquitous. It has been repeated and used in different ways. Um, you know, and that I to me, this is the exam. This is one of the examples of poems that. Um, don't have to be they, they don't have to have staying power in an artistic sense to have staying power in a cultural sense mm-hmm. so the argument you know we got a lot of like emily emily we can't put this on um <laughs> how about something else how you know by the way did you know that alan ginsburg was a member of nambla and i'm like yes I do, <laughs> you know, whatever. I don't know. It's too late to to um, litigate that. He <laughs> he wrote this poem, and I'm, I, you know, so for me, this is just iconic, um, regardless. So again, because this is my list, everybody can give their opinions, but I, <laughs> I get to make all the decisions, put the final pieces on. Um, <laughs> the you know the the less like funny one was having to argue over uh, the road not taken versus stopping white woods on a snowy evening. Mm. Similarly, <laughs> you know, two, two frost poems, the road not taken. Everyone knows two, two roads diverged in a wood. Um, and, you know, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference, right? But stopping, you know, that one seems obvious, but stopping by woods on a slow evening, uh, the woods are lovely, dark, and deep. I have promised to keep in mouth to go before I sleep. And then, you know, that's also, I, you know, that's also pretty iconic. Ultimately, we went with the road not taken, even though, Mm, there were several, again, several arguments that stopping by woods on a snowy evening is better because it is so often misread, the road not taken, um, and it is used wrongly. And so we thought that was kind of a funny way for something to be iconic. Iconic because people think that what Frost meant was that if you take the road less traveled by, that's actually going to make all the difference. That's not even. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so I wish that we had another hour to talk about all of this, uh, but we don't. So we're going to have to wrap things up here. So please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2.
This concludes our 520th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zapp-Zabital. My name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guest, Emily Temple, author and managing editor at Literary Hub, and we've been talking about the 32 most iconic poems in the English language. Our history buff today was Brett Menard. This is ROI Relevant or Irrelevant on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all of our listeners the great Basutu proverb, Hotsa Pula Nala, Peace, Reign, and Prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Mm-hmm.